I like to use the analogy that I've kind of taken my hands off the wheel and uh, the customers are building the product. We are just implementing what they're saying. So we're solving solutions, not even building features at this point. And that is a lot of fun to get a business to that place. This episode is brought to you by SBC Summit North America, the biggest sports betting and iGaming event of its kind. Their highly anticipated event returns this summer on July 12th through 14th, which will bring together all of the major players in the fast-growing North American sports betting and iGaming industry for three days of high-level discussions, business meetings, and networking. The program also includes SBC's first pitch, a startup pitch competition that will bring together the most exciting startups in the industry, competing for a grand prize before a judging panel of leading industry investors. To learn more and secure your ticket, visit sbcevents.com. All right, we're back with episode 25 of the Betting Startups Podcast. And today I have Pete with me from Props.Cash. Pete, welcome to the Betting Startups Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jesse. Thank you for having me. Appreciate being on. Yeah, absolutely, Pete. Um, so look, lots uh, I really want to talk about today. You have a very interesting story. I'm a bit concerned half an hour won't be long enough, but we'll do our best here. Maybe just to get started, Pete, for folks that might not be familiar with you or Props.Cash, can you give us a little bit of a background just on yourself and maybe some of the major chapters of your journey up until the start of Props.Cash? Absolutely. So I started, I've always had a passion for math. I used to teach at tutoring centers when I was in high school. And I went to university for math and stats and ultimately teachers college and wanted to get involved with teaching students at an elementary school level uh, in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, where I am. This was around 2011, 2012. At that point, it was really hard to get a teaching job. There was a glut of teachers here. And so I volunteered for about a year, didn't have success getting in to a spot. So I ended up pivoting into the, the startup scene. And I got a job with a company in Toronto called Unata and worked there for about three and a half years. And that was the time when I really honed my development skills. And we ultimately got acquired by Instacart, a unicorn company out of San Fran. Over the next year and a half, I had an amazing opportunity to learn some best practices with some of the best engineers in North America. And this really helped to refine my ability as, as a developer. And from there, I decided to pivot out of the corporate setting and join another startup here in Ontario. They built a daycare product for teachers and parents. And they ended up getting acquired about two years after I started there. And at that point, I had been through two early stage startups, two acquisitions. I started to get a sense or a feel of uh, the tech cycle. I knew I wanted to start something on my own and I knew I was passionate about education. So I built a product that helped students learn math using MBA data. I built the product and beta tested it with about 50 teachers across North America. The feedback was great. The kids loved it. Uh, when I asked if they were willing to pay for it, the answer was no. Um, teachers don't have a budget to pay for stuff. So, I mean, they do, but it's, it's uh, you know, teachers are, are pressed uh, financially uh, with respect to paying out of pocket. So I had the option of going to the school boards and pitching it to them, but this was during COVID. So it didn't feel like a great use of my time as a developer. And so I pivoted the platform to help myself with some of my prop betting. We had all these graphs and all this NBA data and it was helping. And I showed some of my friends and then they encouraged me to put it online. And that was the inception of props.cash. People started signing up right away. This was in February or March, 2021. And, and we've been a year in and we've hit the ground running uh, with this 
product. I had no idea that Prop Better was happily willing to pay a monthly subscription to uh, to help them with their prop bets. They're a very different market than the teachers. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, I mean, super interesting story, Pete, and just that pivot, like you said, and obviously as well, I think your experience with those uh, startups and sounds like you maybe have the Midas touch joining these companies right before their acquisition. So hopefully that's a sign of maybe things to come later on down the road with props.cash. But let's maybe focus a little bit on props.cash just for folks listening again that might not be familiar with it. Can you just give us a sort of high concept overview of, of what it is and what was sort of that moment or that aha moment for you where you really realized that that pivot, you were onto something special with it and this would be the direction you're going to go forward with? Yeah, it's a great question. So I actually tried to build props.cash in 2014, but I didn't have the technical skills. And I knew that there was something missing in the props market to make it a bit easier for betters to evaluate props. The unique thing about the prop market is during the you know NHL, NBA, MLB season, sometimes you can have thousands of prop lines each night. And there's just not an efficient way to process historical data. A lot of my friends were putting stuff into Excel spreadsheets and having to manually update them each day. It's just not, not an optimal setup for, for someone. So I had this data and I, I put it into easy to consume visualizations and showing historical data for users. And you know, I, we don't have projections. We don't tell people how to bet. It's simply organizing the data in an optimal way for allowing you to take the next step in terms of making your decision. We see ourselves as a starting point at this, at this stage of the company, we're a starting point for a better, not an end point, but we think we organize the data in such a way that it saves those people that were inputting their data into Excel. It saves them hours a day and tens or if not hundreds of hours over the course of a, a month or a season. So props.cash, it's, uh, I guess, an analytics tool as opposed to just content that you're putting out, which is actionable that people use to then make their bets with, right? You're basically giving them a sandbox to play and they do their analysis and make their own decisions independently. Do I have that right, Pete? Yeah, exactly. So we've set up all sorts of filtering of the data. Um, we've made it user, really user-friendly, but essentially you could pull up uh, Steph Curry and you can see all of his splits mapped against tonight's live prop line. You can see the alternative lines. It allows you to move the line to see where maybe you want to find a comfortable alternate line. It allows you to check basic splits like home away, um, wins or losses, games and blowouts. It allows you to filter by the number of minutes played. But it's basically a blank canvas for a user to to find a split that they find interesting and find find a kind of nugget. With a thousand plus lines a night, there's inevitably some spots that are a little bit less sharp than other spots. And I think we provide a tool that allow people to find those spots in an efficient manner. And who would you say your users or your customers are, right? Like which segment of the market is this product catering to? And I'm thinking a little bit about some other, you know, betting analytics tools out there. I've previously had Dan from Unabated on, obviously they do some fantastic work with their tools, but I would say at least my perception of Unabated is that they're probably catering to a more, uh, you know, something closer to a sharp or an advantage player. What segment are you really catering to with the props.cash tools? I think it started with a bit of the shallow end better. Um, someone coming in that just needed a better starting point. I think it's evolved though. With states opening up, we have huge amounts of shallow. When I say shallow end, it's essentially a new better, a better that's mm -hmm. coming into the market and needs to gain some confidence in terms of being able to place a bet. I think we hit a sweet spot with, with that group. And I don't think that group is well represented in the space with the analytic tooling. I think my background as an elementary school teacher allows me to take a step back and present stuff in a way that 
we, st- I mean, in a way that's simple, we still have people that are sharp using our product at a $20 a month price point. It's, you know, anybody can use it, but I think the sweet spot is truly for people that are learning. They're getting into the prop market and want to add a tool to their tool belt. Now it's interesting seeing the life cycle of customers. There's a certain maturity that happens where users realize that historical data is not the be all end all in making a props decision. So we are, we are an introductory and again, going back historical data does matter. It absolutely does matter with respect to making a decision, but it's not everything. There's a lot of trends that break each night based on a certain set of parameters and our users start to mature and realize maybe, well, if a players hit this line in the last six games, it doesn't mean it's going, they're going to hit in the seventh game. Maybe there's a pattern that exists where a player is averaging, you know, say 25 points a game, but the last two games, they've been just under that. Is there going to be a regression to the mean? There are certain kind of levels of maturity we're seeing amongst our users in terms of how they frame the data at this point. So I'd say it's for uh, an introductory better, but it, it truly is for, for stat heads, for anybody that's looking to just have a better grasp of the data with which uh, they're using to make an informed betting decision. Interesting. And you just made a reference just a minute ago, Pete. Uh, it sounds like the product is subscription-based. I'm just curious about just the monetization of it, right? I can imagine, uh, given the functionality and the features that the app has, that there's a number of ways you could monetize it, which would potentially include, you know, affiliate revenue models. But it sounds like it's subscription-based. And yeah, I'm just curious if you can talk a little bit about the business model and just sort of your decision-making uh, and thought process going into establishing that business model. For sure. So I come from tech. And I have friends that run successful SaaS companies and, you know, I've seen the value of a small team of strong developers producing a good product in, in the SaaS space. So we wanted to start there and see if there was a viable business model with the subscription space, because people were warning us, it's going to be so hard to do. You're not going to be able to, to sustain, but we've had success. We've had a ton of success with this business model. And I think it's because. Our product, our tech is strong. The product is strong. We have features. We have a web feature that's strong on desktop, strong on mobile. We also have, we've introduced mobile apps and we have ability for users to use our data on Discord servers as well. Mm-hmm. So for $20 a month at this point, you basically have all these different lanes with which you can, you can do your research. And I think there's value there in creating a suite of tools and a brand that allows easy access to research. We've certainly been approached by a number of people to start affiliate. This was really a path of least resistance though, the subscription model to start. There's not a lot to, to you know, hooking up Stripe and, and getting that running. The affiliate model is, is a model that is a little bit more com- complicated and it's something we don't, we haven't totally turned our back to. It's something we need to research further. But right now we're a profitable business with a subscription model. And so we're taking it as far as we can go. Well, I mean, number one, congratulations on getting to the point of profitability with a subscription-based business. I mean, you've just mentioned this and I would echo it, which is it's extremely difficult for anything, I think, in consumer tech um, when it comes to subscription-based business models. So yeah, tip my hat to, to you guys for getting to that point. And, you know, you mentioned that props.cash launched early 2021. So, I mean, it hasn't even been, or maybe it's just been a year and a half now. What do you attribute just the, the success you've had in this early stage? What do you attribute that to? And also, I guess, as an extension to that, Pete, 
what has that user acquisition strategy been that's allowed you to gain that traction that, you know, what I would say is a fairly early stage that you guys are at? It's a great question. Yeah, we put a lot of thought into our user acquisition. To, you're right. To get anybody to pay for anything online is difficult. Starting a business like this is challenging. I'm pivoting from a business that didn't succeed. So I, I understand how, how difficult it is. Now we have, at its core, I think our tech being best in class, in my opinion, our tool being so easy to use is what keeps users um, with us because they're teaching themselves that we are, uh, we're not a voice in their ear saying bet this or bet that they can bet on their own in their, in their own private world. And I think there's a need for that. There's a lot of people in the space that are introverted and don't want to share their betting accounts and want just a private space to be able to do their research. Now, with respect to acquiring users, it's been an interesting journey. I think uh, there's a few key factors that we can attribute it to. We've grown our Twitter following to over 45,000 users organically in about a year. That gives us a huge platform to post um, new ideas, new features, and, and gain traction. We also have a Discord bot that is in about 300 servers that's accessing millions of, of betters that we are able to create brand awareness and goodwill in the community. It also offers a, a great, a great opportunity for monetization. And we've started to explore, um, you know, we, we are advertising on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit, and we are tracking how that goes. What is the value of paid ads in those spaces? And it's, it's very, very interesting, um, doing it in real time before states or provinces are legalizing betting. It's, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic to see what, you know, X amount of money gets you pre, pre-legalization because these companies, the major operators come into the space post legalization and they spend a pretty penny on acquiring the user. And so there's a ton of advantage to getting into these spaces pre, um, pre-legalization. And because we are not a book, we have opportunities to be able to do that. Right. Make, makes sense, Pete. And I'm going to ask you more about uh, legalization in a moment with you being in Ontario. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask a bit about your experience uh, with <laughs> The recent launch there, but we'll hold that just for a moment. Before we get there, I also want to chat a little bit about just your experience working at those VC funded startups you'd mentioned previously. And, you know, with props.cash is sort of hearing you talk about the story here. My perception again, is that you're being very thoughtful, methodical, intentional about the way you're growing and scaling the product and the business. And I'm just sort of curious, Pete, if you can talk about your thought process and your decision to take the approach of bootstrapping versus taking seed capital or even pre-seed capital at the very beginning for props.cash and just, you know, again, drawing on your experience in that world uh, with those VC funded startups and the dynamic that that environment inherently has versus the bootstrapping path. I'm just sort of curious if you can just talk about your thought process and ultimate decision to take the approach that you have. For sure. So the original startup that I joined, they took a little bit of VC money, but they were, they hit profitability while I was there. And it was interesting to see the dynamic shift once we got acquired by Instacart, which is a VC-backed company by the Andreessen Horowitz's, the Sequoias of the world. There's a totally different dynamic and a totally different pressure um, when you are governed by that type of venture capital. There's also a ton of opportunity. I mean, I, I was able to work with some of the best engineers in North America because of Sequoia, because of Andreessen Horowitz and, and their funding. What Instacart was trying to do is a little bit different than what Props.Cash is trying to do. Instacart, there is a high burden to, to get that product to scale. 
they have to build, they have to reach every grocery, major grocery store. It's a, it's a grocery delivery product for people that don't know. But in order to get that product to scale, the amount of money required to do that is, is in the, you know, tens, yeah. hundreds of millions. Props.cash did not have that type of initial cost to, to get the product to market. Now we, you know, we had a few developers and we built an app and so it, it wasn't, it wasn't nothing. There was a lot of time put into it. However, man, it's a great question, man. I, you know, I, I straddle the fence here because we get a lot of people saying, you know, we should be taking VC money. If you want a B2C product in this space, take VC money and just take over. But there's the other side of it too. There's the DHHs of the world. There's philosophies of building strong profitable businesses and maintaining profitability at all costs. And, you know, I speak with my accountant about it all the time. And there's something really nice about having your own money in the bank, spending your own money to scale. And it allows you to have a certain amount of creativity and take some risk knowing that you are not going to be losing someone else's money. And so I think you know, is we, we weigh both sides constantly and I'm not, I'm not opposed to taking VC capital at some point, but right now we are in a great spot. And because we have money in the bank, we can get, we can get money at relatively low cost right now. We can get loans from banks if we need to. So until we find the right partner, I'm, uh, I think I'm keeping, keeping pretty steadfast on the bootstrap model. Yeah. I mean, it's a refreshing approach, frankly, not to say that any one approach is the right or the wrong approach. Obviously everything's very contextual to the business as he talked about and the needs that the business has, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, certainly sounds like you guys are well-positioned if you so choose in the future to look at that as a path for yourself, you're well-positioned. Um, the other thing I was curious about Pete and just sort of sticking with your past experience at other startups and, and, you know, overlaying that with your props.cash journey, um, you know, given that experience you've had has going out on your own uh, been easier or more challenging than you would have expected at the beginning, right? Like given everything you saw transpire in the environment in those companies and, you know, with those VC funds backing those companies, you know, what you thought would be the world you would be living in with props.cash, is that the world that you're actually in now? Or, or sort of how do you reconcile what you thought at the beginning versus what reality is now? Yeah, it's, it's different than what I thought it was going to be. When you're an employee at a company, even with a vested stake, in the company, you can take vacation, you can take weekends. There are, there are times when companies are doing very well, which are time for celebration. But then there are times, you know, at Unata pre-acquisition, um, pre-acquisition at Instacart, we were a B2C company working with like the Wegmans, the Costco's, the HEBs of the world. And, you know, we were there when we lost an HEB account and now I understand how it would have kept the, you know, the founder and the head accounts up at night with a staff of 50 engineers. How are you going to keep these people on? There's this, and as an engineer myself, I was not losing sleep. I was like, you pay me the salary and I work here. Um, and if you don't pay me the salary, engineers are in very high demand and we can go work elsewhere. Granted, I, there's a certain amount of loyalty that exists as well, but but you don't have those same types of things keeping you up at night. As a founder, there's really a responsibility to keep the money in the bank and keep people paid and and make sure that you are progressing the business. There's also just the, the foundational factor that sports are running 24-7, 365. There's not a huge opportunity to take extended breaks and and just turn yourself away 
from the business. And, and I don't even think that's the right answer. I've, I've been thank, I'm thankful enough to be in groups with a number of founders. And we speak to how can we decompress and taking vacations is not always the best way for founders to decompress. Sometimes it's going to conferences and seeing how other people are doing things, listening versus always kind of act, acting outwardly. Taking a vacation is tough because you, on that vacation, you just want to get back and get working. There's a bit of an obsessiveness that exists and I think needs to exist for the business. So yeah, I've taken on that, uh, that mentality for better or for worse, trying to, trying to keep it healthy and trying to maintain all the relationships in my, uh, around me in a healthy way. But, but I'll, I'll admit it's challenging. Yeah, hundred percent. The same theme has been coming up in some recent episodes I've done where founders have sort of lamented how exactly to your point, Pete, that, you know, the relationships around them, it's, it's a very difficult tightrope walk to, to maintain and keeping the business going. And as you rightly say, I think founders by, by nature typically are quite obsessive, right? I mean, that is often what drives people to actually start companies and, you know, put themselves in very difficult uh, and uncomfortable situations. And, you know, it is that obsessive nature and that real, I think, commitment to realizing a vision and sort of all of the stuff that comes with that. So I can completely uh, relate to that. And, you know, I guess it hasn't been so long yet on the props.cash journey, but if you think back to the time that it has been so far, what's been the most fulfilling or rewarding aspect of the journey for you uh, to date? It, it's speaking with customers for sure and getting customer feedback as a teacher, knowing that we are helping people learn some better math, like learn math, uh, in a way, sorry, let me rephrase that. Like props is a great fulcrum for teaching people math. So at its core, I think we're still, I'm still a math teacher and I love that. And when we get feedback from users and that we are helping them become more analytical in their process and in turn, it's helping them become a more profitable or a less in debt better that that matters to me also getting feedback on what could improve the product we have an amazing feedback loop at this point we're getting hundreds of pieces of feedback each month and that is driving the the building of the product at this point i like to use the analogy that i've kind of taken my hands off the wheel and the, the customers are building the product we are just implementing what they're saying so we're solving solutions not even building features at this point and that is a lot of fun to get a business to that place because I'm not taking it for granted that getting authentic user feedback is hard to do. It's, it's hard to get a business to that place. And we are there and living that. And that is very fulfilling uh, as a software uh, engineer. Let's shift a little bit here. I made a reference a few minutes ago to the fact you're in Ontario. Of course, I think we're what, five, six-ish weeks into the regulated Ontario betting market. And uh, I'm not in Ontario, I'm in Canada, but I'm on the West Coast. Uh, I don't know how far apart we, we are. Pete, 3,000 kilometers, 4,000 kilometers, we're a long ways away. So I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the visibility on the ground in Ontario that you do. I'm just sort of curious, um, you know, for you on the ground there, and obviously with the, the, the business you have and sort of the world you live in with betting, what's it been like as a resident of Ontario in this regulated market, just in so far as, you know, a lot of the content that we're now seeing, um, you know, there's a lot of saturation I'm understanding around, um, you know, media and, you know, billboards on every, all that sort of stuff, right? What's it been like for you just being in Ontario at this time? And then what's your assessment, I guess, of the newly regulated market so far? We've been paying a lot of attention to what's happening, putting on a hockey game. Everything now is through the frame of the odds the whether it's the money line or the spread or a prop the sports centers that we're watching now in ontario are all through the frame of of the better and i think that's not making everyone happy here in ontario i think the canadian is different than 
other parts of the world in terms of how they feel about betting or the Ontario, the Ontario resident is different. And I think there's a bit of an annoyance of how much advertising there is right now with respect to sports books. We're trying to figure this out. We're, we're, we have some user groups and we're gaining feedback on the general perception. We are, you know, it's a great market for us because there, because of all the ad spend from the sports book, there are going to be a lot of new sports betters and our product bodes really well for those markets. However, the Ontario market is unique, similar to other provinces once they regulate that people have been using Bet365 and Pinnacle here for however long, 20 plus years. So it's not like they haven't been sports betting. There's a, there's a huge culture here of sports betting. It's been a bit in the shadows. Now it's coming to the forefront, but, but there's a lot of sharp betters and experienced betters in, in this space that, that know what they're doing. So it's different than, uh, than an area or a, a population of people that haven't had access to sports books prior to this point. We're trying to figure it out how we certainly know that our ad spend is not going as far post April 4th as it did before April 4th, but we see the books spending and we see where they are spending and it's giving us a lot of ideas in terms of what we can do to reach that audience. So we're trying to gain a bit of feedback at this point and we're, we're playing it a bit safe. We're trying to hit fringe, fringe betters, people that, you know, have thought about trying it but maybe, you know, have been a bit on the fence about it, but it's hard. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to hit that, to hit that group. And we're, we're trying to put our best foot forward and, and think about how we can do that. But I don't have a clear solution at this point. So no props.cash billboards on the 401 anytime soon. <laughs> well, we, you know, our VP of marketing is coming from out of home marketing. So he loves the idea of out of home, but the problem with out of home marketing is it's just really hard to track conversion. There's, there's essentially no, no ability. So it's the big boys. I can understand that they just have the money to splash, to do that as a, as a startup with limited funds, we need to be much more strategic in terms of how we spend our marketing dollars. Yeah, of course. Of course. Cool. All right, Pete, looking ahead here to the second half of the year and everything coming up, what are the major milestones you're focused on with props.cash, both on the product side and the business side? So the product side, we have uh, an app in the app store and the Google play store. And we still need to build it out fully. We, we like to iterate and release as we, we're not, we're not the type of company that does a huge launch or announces a huge launch. So we're still adding sports to our app. We, you know, building an app is a lot of work. And so we are putting a ton of time into that. Um, we also are actively working on improving our, our overall offering by adding more sports and adding kind of new ways of thinking about the data. We also see a huge opportunity with Discord. We're in, you know, 300 servers. I don't want to speak too granular with too much granularity in terms of how we're going to to proceed, but but I think it presents a really really interesting opportunity for us that we have access to hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of engaged betters, and and there is some very strategic planning that we're doing in terms of how how we roll that out. So those are a few big milestones. I think we, we're going to grow the team, grow the engineering side. And, you know, we have a pretty new product, so we're not shrouded in technical debt. We are able to iterate quickly. I'm very proud of our code base and we're going to continue to add sports and add functionality as the users request it. 
Awesome. Well, a little bit of a teaser there. We'll have to keep an eye on, on things over the, the rest of the year to see what it is. Cool. And my standard closing question, Pete, to wrap up for today, if you weren't a software developer, if you weren't a teacher, a mathematician, if you weren't working in sports, sports tech, sports betting, anything like this in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? It'd be great to be a MLB pitcher, work every five days, <laughs> summers <laughs> off or have the winters off. And uh, I'm a lefty, I'm a southpaw. I think I could get down with the, with the lifestyle of a, a starting MLB pitcher. Starter or closer? <laughs> so closers work even less than starters. <laughs> True. You know, I would take either. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And for folks listening that might want to learn more, go ahead and plug props.cash. How can they get in touch with you and get their hands on the product? For sure. We're really active on Twitter. So props, P-R-O-P-S-D-O-T-Cash. Give us a follow, drop us a DM. We're on Instagram and Facebook as well for, for that audience. You can also just reach out directly, support at props.cash. We, we, we have a really strong support team and we will get back to you. We will answer your questions. People can also add me on LinkedIn. For, like We get lots of requests for jobs or people looking to learn more about the company. We're, we're out there. We're very public facing. So, so you can reach us. And, and those are a couple avenues. And, and, and also try the product props.cash give it a shot that we have a free trial download the app the app has limited functionality and the free version but you can certainly get a sense of what the product is and and try it out and give us some feedback let us know what you think we're always trying to make it better pete it's been awesome to have you on today it's been great to hear more about your story and the journey and uh sounds like there's a lot of bright days ahead for props.cash wishing you guys all the best for the rest of the year ahead and we'll keep in touch talk to you soon appreciate it jesse take care